We're not for everybody, but we're for everybody. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, we're talking with uh, Akili, uh, the man of many names, or one name, Akili, um, Greg Akili, Baba Akili. All of those persons are the founder of the Fannie Lou Hamer Institute, lead organizer for Black Lives Matter LA, and also, you know, a member of the KBLA 1580 team. So you may be like candidate, but yes, you are running for Assembly District 57. Yes. Welcome. Yes. Good morning, and welcome to the and th- and welcome to the KBLA family. Thank you for having me on. I always enjoy being on and. Uh, and as I am fond of telling people, I was your first guest for your first show when they first started. I love that that uh, you care. Uh, oh, that, that I'm serious. That was that, that was a uh, that was quite a quite an honor for me. Well, you know, this is a tough race. I mean, yes, it and, is. and it's a statewide race. People spend money, yes. big money, because California is a big state. Um, I feel like you know, you're a longtime activist. <laughs> you worked on many a campaign. You. Um, know the space, but you are kind of running a what do they call it a dark horse candidacy. Uh, I'm a, absolutely, I'm an outsider uh, with running as the um, you know the the kind of non conventional, non established candidate. Um, and uh, you know, and I know you know politics. You, in fact, I'm really tempted to talk to you about <laughs> everything that's happening in the House of Representatives. But we're here to talk about your candidacy. But that was a wild night. I mean, it, I mean, one <laughs> of the things that it underscores <laughs> is the chaos within the Republican Party. Right. Um, that if you know, you can't trust these people to govern, even if you agree with them <laughs> on policy, you can't trust them to govern because they are so far. Uh, uh, in disarray and dysfunction that even when they get into power, get into position, they can't do nothing. Yeah, and then Congressman Al Green come in. Let's stay together. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, but why, with all of the strategic um, background that you have in politics and as a community organizer, why run a long-shot candidacy? Because there's some things I strongly believe in and I want to fight for. I'm fighting for now. Um, I believe that housing should be a a human right. Uh, I'm the chair of the Liberty Community Land Trust. You heard the last guest talk about TOPA. We have been fighting and working on TOPA for a long time, the the tax opportunity credit uh, that gives people in facilities the first right of refusal, at least, you know, if if you can raise the money to to buy the place you're living in. That makes sense. Uh, But I'm already doing that. Um, But I want to see more investment in community land trusts. Land trusts are nonprofit um, community developments that buy uh, housing and at affordable price and keep it affordable. Um, You know, and in, in, and allow people, in many cases, it could be their first home, but they can't just move out and take it equity and leave. They have to, it has to be you know, uh, sold to or rented to a person of equal income. Uh, so we keep it a per, you know. So those are things that I believe in. Uh, I'd like to see a renters' rights division within the housing department. Um, renters have rights, but there's an unequal relationship between corporate, the corporate landlords, and what most renters their rights. And so if there was a, 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 di- a division within the, uh, the, the housing department where renters could call to get to find out what they can do and, 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 uh, and be protected, that's a simple service that the state can provide. And then finally, 
you know, I think that with an investment in uh, land trust, uh, I would like to see the state for every dollar the feds give. I'd like to see the state give a dime and we could build more affordable housing, particularly Section 8 housing, because right now Section 8 housing, if you're on it, you can be on it for decades and never get a voucher. Um, but it's it's fast, affordable housing. And that's ultimately what we're going to need to get people off the streets. One of the things I'm exceedingly proud of is uh, Pastor Q uh, and Pete White have been my biggest supporters. Uh, and they've helped me understand the the houseless situation on Skid Row, uh, what can be done, what needs to be done. I've had Pete White from LA Can and Pastor Q from Creating Cream Justice Justices. LA. Yeah. Yes, and Skid and uh, Church Without Walls. Um, they both have been tremendously helpful to me in understanding the conditions, understanding what needs to happen, uh, and I would make them a part of uh, any approach that I would take toward housing. And then the other thing for me is something I've been working on for many years is uh, health care as a human right with a single payer system. Most industrial democracies have it. Uh, it works. Um, we spend more money for health care than any other uh, country in the world. And we cover fewer people. That's I mean, that's a that's a contradiction. If you spend this much money, you should be able to cover everybody with the best health care in the world. But we don't uh, because we have a middle uh, person, a middleman that takes 35 cents out of every dollar, every health care dollar. And so you're talking about the insurance insurance companies. companies. Yeah. And, and but they don't provide health care. They only provide the paper so that the people who provide health care can get paid. And there are ample examples of other ways to do it. The Veterans Administration doesn't do that. The Medicare doesn't do that. And they take three cents out of every dollar. And I have been a single payer advocate since the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, but here we are in a tough budget season. The, the, the odds of a universal health care passing in California at this time are pretty slim. We couldn't do it when the budget was flush. Well, we couldn't do it because well, we could have done it. Yeah, we, we could have done do it. it is what I but we done. part of the reason why we couldn't do it is because of the 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 insurance industry have blocked it, uh, and and in some cases pharmaceuticals have blocked it, but cer certainly the insurance companies have blocked it. Uh, and one of the things there's a there's legislation right now HR um, uh, AB rather fourteen hundred uh, CalCare, which would which would put us on the road to a single payer system and a transfer and a transformation system, so that uh, the people who are currently working in the in the uh, healthcare insurance industry would be able to transfer and have jobs and the rest. Uh, but it's it would get us on the road. That's those are things that I care about. I want to see uh, good jobs, but I also want to see uh, economy grow. And one of the things that can help it grow is if we could tie uh, the CPAT, the Consumer Price Index, uh, to wages. Because right now we have a, mm. you know, the, in, well, they do it in Maryland. Every two years they look at the wages and they look at, the, and they look at inflation. And if the prices of goods and services are going up, the wages go up. Uh, it's, you know, it just makes sense because we live in a, particularly in Los Angeles and in California, it's expensive. If we tie CPI to wages that whenever the, the, at least the minimum wage, right? At least the minimum wage go, yeah. you know, and when inflation goes up or the cost of living goes up, so would the then wages. Then you get a raise, right? Yeah, you know, and it would, and it would, you know, it could at least keep us, uh, at, at least 
begin to balance out. It won't balance it out because the, the cost will always rise faster than the wages, but it will at least keep us our heads above water and we won't be drowning in, in prices that we get. But I also want to fight for a workers' bill of rights uh, because I think as we move into the gig economy, um, there won't be any we we'll all wind up being uh, independent consultants and you know, none of us will be able to get uh, unemployment insurance or uh, com- you know, a worker's comp because nobody pays into it. Right. You yeah. Know. No, I mean, I think we're pretty much almost there at this point. Um, Akili, you know, the reparations task force delivered their 1200 page yes. recommendation, which I'm trying to get through. And now the um, legislative black caucus, of the state of California has put forth a few bills, a package of bills um, to start to address this. There's been a lot of talk about it, some disappointment. What do, what do you think of those bills and what do you think? I, I'm not even going to ask you if you support reparations because I already know you yeah, do. You, yeah, <laughs> since 1989. What's the way forward? And well, and what do you say about that legislative uh, agenda so far? Yeah, I think it's it's opening a door. I think it's one of the things that has happened. Well, I'm sorry. One of the things that has happened is that it has put it, it has opened the door and put it uh, on statewide discussion um, about a process to actually get reparations. I know many people's like, I want to check. I don't, I don't want to hear about nothing else. But I, I'm on the board of the Institute of the Black World 21st Century and, and, and NARC. And I think you've had Ron on here before. Yes. One of the things that NARC does, the National African-American Reparations Commission, is we have a 10-point program. And a lot of that 10 points, a lot of those, many of those 10 points are how do we make investments to, to, um, in, in our people and our communities to make sure that we can begin to lift people up, not just always give people checks. Uh, I believe in the checks. I think that, that we deserve the checks. Uh, and I think that that's the, that this is an opening. This is a good start. Um, the other thing is, you know, the, the, the package that I've, that I kind of reviewed, it does begin to get to some of the uh, systemic issues that, uh, that, that exist. Um, and it's a way to once again, advance. And I like the I like the fact that we start with an apology where California. So you, st- you still think an apology is important? Yes, I certainly do. Because without that, you can't really move to the next. If you don't recognize and acknowledge wrong, hurt, harm and damage, then you just kind of move on. And it's like, well, OK, yeah, that was bad. But no, a public uh, apology begins to at least. It's a, it's the same reason when you know you're wrong and you've and you've certainly been uh, reaffirmed in that wrongness. You make a sincere and public apology. You don't just say, "Well, that's I'm yeah, okay," you, you and move on. So that's a beginning. I think these packets of bills are an opening. They're not enough, and I think it's going to take a few more years of struggle uh, and a few more years of of uh, involving people in the community, as has been to get here in the first place which I want to be a part of. I've supported reparations since 1989, since the first introduction of, eight, of uh, House Resolution 40, that Conyers, and I have been working on that ever since, uh, and I, I will continue to do that. I understand it, I'm committed to it, and I will fight for it. Talking with Akili, a.k.a. Baba Akili, a.k.a. Greg Akili. I think it says Greg Akili on the ballot, right? It actually does. Greg Akili on the ballot, running for the 57th Assembly District. We'll hear more of why he thinks you should vote for him when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. More of First Things First with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. 
This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. Akili is with me, a.k.a. Baba Akili, a.k.a. Greg Akili, as he appears on the ballot running for um, the Assembly, the State Assembly um, District 57. And um, so I'll ask you right now, before we get to the uh, the top of the, the hour, give us your one-minute pitch why we should vote for Akili for Assembly District 57. Because I've been on the front lines fighting for social justice and human rights uh, for many decades. I want to take that, my experience, my leadership, and my results to fight for the things that I believe in. Housing as a human right, educate, I mean, uh, uh, healthcare as a human right, restorative justice, good jobs, and a worker's bill of rights. Uh, and I want to uh, be the voice for and with the people of South Central. We need, I want to build a movement for a better South Central, a better Los Angeles, uh, and a better California. Mm. Uh, you know, you famously founded the Fannie Lou Hamer Institute. You work with Black Lives Matter LA. Um, and right now, as we speak, the governor is deploying 120 CHP to Oakland. Um, and from what I'm what I'm reading now, there, um, you know, it, it's it's part of this law and order reaction to a perceived jump in crime. Apparently, there is a a, a jump in crime statistically in Oakland although it's down in the rest of the state. My understanding is they've elected a progressive prosecutor there in Alameda County, and um, already they're targeting her. We see what's happening in the DA's race here in Los Angeles. Um, How do you see yourself fitting into the public safety landscape in the state legislature? There's two areas that I really would like to be involved in, housing and public safety, because part of what uh, I'm doing now is fighting for more transparency and accountability and putting the public in the center of public safety. For too many years, is the, the law enforcement has been, when we talk about public safety, we talk about the police. Well, I want to talk about the public, put the public in the center of public safety. And so I want to fight for much more transparency and a lot more accountability. Um, and I think that the only way to do that is to be the voice there to fight for it. And I've seen what has happened. Uh, I've seen what has happened through my work with Black Lives Matters when we demand accountability. I mean, one of the things that Black Lives Matters is about is ending state sanction violence in all its forms, social, political and economic. But that starts with transparency and accountability. And so I would very much be involved in that. And too often what we do is we rely on the police solely for everything. Mm. You know, if if our neighbors are too loud, we call the police. If it's raining too hard, we call the police. <laughs> if it didn't rain, we call the police. <laughs> I mean, and they are not, first of all, they're over overextended in what they got to do anyway, but they aren't prepared to do it, uh, to do all that stuff, uh, and they do it badly, and it, and, and they are trained to control the threat and suppress the danger. That's what they are trained on. And they see us as a threat and a danger. And we wind up uh, in many cases, too many cases uh, being killed. And so I certainly want to see a lot more accountability and and a lot more transparency uh, in law enforcement. So two committees I would be very much interested in being on housing uh, and public safety. Mm. Um, we were talking off the air about uh, the, you know, Climate justice, because we're both part of this KBLA organization. I know that's important to you. Um, right now, we have a sort of a wrestling match between the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the state of California, because California wants to have even tougher standards than um, than the, the federal standards. But it looks like the feds are going to 
um, make us pl- dance to their tune instead of the other way around. What h- impact can you have on the climate crisis in the state uh, legislature? Well, I think they're already doing it. I think there's some very good people who are in the assembly who are fighting for, for real climate justice and real climate change. And I want to connect it to, and by the way, compliment KBLA for doing this, because I think it's an issue in our community that we need to be educated on, uh, involved in, uh, and, and engage in. So I appreciate that. But, uh, but one of the things for me as a project coordinator with Corporate Accountability is first, we have to hold the polluters accountable. Secondly, we have to kick them out of the room. They have undermine it in any efforts uh, at advancing climate change for now over three decades. Uh, and they have taken the same approach that the uh, tobacco companies have taken for many years. So the first thing that the uh, the state has done is begun to go after a lot of these uh, polluters who knew that this was happening, who knew how bad it was, but did it anyway. So we can begin to hold them accountable. Secondly, I think that California is going to have to join many other states that uh, uh, that 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 charge oil companies for extracting the oil. We don't. I know. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, Texas does. Oklahoma does. It it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, According to the L.A. Times, we were state officials are going to have to take drastic steps in places like L.A. to curb pollution in order to meet the federal standards, even though our statewide standards are pretty tough. Um, and so you're saying go after the go after the com- corporations rather than the individuals? Oh, absolutely. We are led to believe that if we, uh, you know, don't use uh, plastic straws and some other kind of thing, that that's going to help. And it will. I get that. But what will help more is to hold the polluters accountable and ultimately remove fossil fuels as the driving force in all our lives and in all the ways that it does. Uh, And once again, we can't have the thief in the room who has stolen uh, the property sitting at the table saying, let me tell you how to not steal it no more. No, (laughs) So we want them out. And we want to hold them accountable. And I think there are a number of ways to do that, starting with an extraction fee. Um, Like I said, California is one of the few states that Oklahoma does it. Texas does it. Almost all the oil producing states do that, including Alaska, except for now. And people say to me, brother, if you do that, the gas will go up. No, I would I would say it doesn't have to. That's not. constant that's not a constant particularly when we have anti-gouging laws um and we can in in enforce those laws and i would put a a sun uh, a sunshine thing so that they would sunset 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 so they because people tell me well if you charge the oil companies a fee for extracting the oil they'll just pay the fee and extract it forever no we put a sunset on it and we need that money to begin to fund a a green new deal approach in California i mean they're they're they've been extracting forever anyway so that's not anything new um so, you know, we just have a couple of minutes left. The time flies when you're on the radio. Yes. Um, w- tell me something, a standout policy piece um, that you that you have in mind for when you are elected to the assembly. Once again, it'll it'll be fighting for housing as a human right and health care as I mean, a human right. But what does that mean, housing as a human right? I mean, it's a slogan, but how do you put it into action? The, the first thing is that you have to... There's a simple way to do it. You, you can you can pass resolutions that say that, and here's how to and here's how to uh, standardize it and a time frame for making it real. Because if we see it as a human right, we tend to protect human rights. Um, 
if we if it's just another piece of policy, then, you know, it, it'll be taken over. The other thing I want to do is that I want to give local governments the right and responsibility to manage uh, rent stabilizations. Right now, they can't. Uh, and we see what has happened uh, now that the, the, the pandemic controls that were on rents have skyrocketed again. Local government should be able to stabilize the rents if they choose to. There's legislation right now, Costa Hawkins, that prevents local governments from doing that. One of the, and I worked on the campaign to try to overturn Costa Hawkins some years ago. That would be one of the first things I would want to do. Um, so that would be a big thing. And then the restorative, all in restorative justice programs. And starting with fighting for restorative justice concepts right now once again we over punish and we over incarcerate we aren't any safer because of either one your own survey that kbla took if you read it people say they don't feel any safe but yet we're locking up more people uh and we got more police Mm -hmm. so it's a contradiction in terms on the one hand we lock up more people and we got more police but yet people feel less safe right okay we're gonna have to leave it there real quick tell us uh where to find your campaign you can go to akili a-k-i-l-i four the number four, the people.com on all. So that's my, that's the website and on all social media. I would certainly like to, to discuss these issues with people. One of the things I want to do is have and have having these listening sessions. So Akila for the people.com. The number four. Uh, Tavis Smiley is up next. It's been quite a lively day and uh, more to follow. Uh, I'm Dominique DePrima. History is now and we are making it together. I'll end with a quote. I don't even know who said it, but we say it all the time. When we fight, we win. win. Until tomorrow, one love. Thank you.